you'll open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3, our final part, part 4, in this section in verses 1 through 11. Now there was a guy that got up here earlier said he said it was okay that he was cutting into my preaching time. Not the case. I'm preaching the full thing anyways. I don't know what he was thinking, but so just so you know, get it out of your minds right now. We will probably not be finishing up at 11.30, okay? So don't start checking out on me and thinking that, oh, he's got to be close to done because that's usually when we're close to finishing up. Not today. Not today. I'm not going to intentionally go longer, don't worry. But I just think that's important as we wrap up this series that we don't cut out any of the Word of God as we're preaching, as I'm going to be preaching through this as you're going to be listening, because I know you don't want to miss out on some of the truth that's in here. So I hope that you're encouraged with that. I hope you've been encouraged going through verses 1 through 11, um, seeing how Christ is our confidence, and if our confidence is in Him, and just everything in our life has to come back to Him. It all has to come back to Christ, and I hope that you've been encouraged by it. Our big idea for this morning is that Jesus justifies sanctifies and glorifies us. We'll talk about what that means as we go throughout the message, and then there's going to be some more that we're going to add to this uh, big idea at the end of the sermon, so um, don't fill in that whole section quite yet under the big idea. So let's go ahead, let's read verses 1 through 11. Let's get the full context together before we focus in on verses 9 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I don't know about you, but reading through that whole passage as we've looked over these verses for many weeks, it seems to have a little bit more power. I don't know, it does for me at least, understanding what he said, understanding the background of this and knowing the scripture more fully, reading through it again, it's like, oh, I know what he's saying here. I don't know if that's the same for you as well, but I hope that's encouraging for you. After we preach through sections, go back and read through it again and say, no, I know what he's talking about now. Let's pray as we look at verses 9 through 11. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for Christ. 
We're thankful our confidence is in him and not our flesh. We fail ourselves. We sin constantly. We let you down in our sin. We grieve the Holy Spirit. All these things we cannot do, but Christ has already done. He has already done it. He has already paid the price. He has already sacrificed himself. He has said it is finished, and he has raised from the dead. He has conquered over it all. We're thankful for the hope and the confidence we can have in him today. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to see being made righteous because of Jesus. Now we're not going to focus on this because last week's sermon we really dove into it uh, more in depth in looking at verse 9. But this is the justification. Justification is the action of being made right with God. Some people have said maybe an easy way to remember it is just saying, just as if I never sinned. And that's good, and that's helpful for a part. Somebody else I've heard said, just as if I've always obeyed. That's helpful as well. But it's important to know that even little catchphrases like this might be helpful to help us understand what the big word means. It can't say it all. (laughs) There's so much more. As again, we talked for half an hour to 40 minutes yesterday, or last week, of what justification really is, this righteousness of Christ that is given to us. So understand that these phrases might not do, uh, do it justice, but it can be helpful at times. Knowing that when Jesus went to the cross, God looked at his beloved son, that he said, with whom I am well pleased. When he was on the cross, he saw the sinfulness of every human that has ever and will ever believe in him. And God poured out his wrath on Jesus. So that now when he looks at us who believe, He sees the perfect, beloved son's righteousness. It's amazing. It's like applying a special filter to your camera that removes all zits, all deformities. I think all of us would like that for the picture to be taken of us, and it's totally perfect. I don't know, has anybody taken like a bad picture? Probably nobody in here has said like, ooh, delete that. That's not going to work. Don't post that anywhere. We love those perfect pictures to be looking at us for everybody to see none of the deformities, all the good things. When Christ, we stand before God, God is going to judge us. Those of us who are in Christ, he's going to look at us and judge us based on the righteousness of Christ. Not the sin that we have, not the sin even that we continue in, even as believers that we're going to sin today and we're going to sin tomorrow. He's not going to judge us based on that. He's going to judge us based on Christ's work for us, for those of us who know him. We praise the Lord for that. He knows that we sin. He gets it. He understands. He knows what we're going through. He knows that we're going to sin, but he has given us Christ that we no longer have to live in that sin, and we're going to focus on that in a little bit. But Romans 8.30 says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We see God doing all of the work. We're not doing any of this. It's not our effort. It's not any of the good that we bring to the table. As we understood last week, we bring our sin and we bring our shame. It's God doing the work. It's all him. We should be thankful for that. We should be thankful for Christ and the work that he's done on the cross. God, in his gracious, loving kindness, he saved me. Ephesians 1, he chose to save, save me. And why save me? I am nothing special. I'm sorry to break it to you. You're nothing special. 
that God would say, ooh, I want him on my team. (laughs) It's because God is good. It's because he is gracious, because he is merciful and kind. And we thank him for that. First in 2 Corinthians 5.14, and it says, for the love of Christ, because of the love that God has given us, has shown us through Christ, that that is, we conclude this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died, because the love of Christ controls us. That's why we go out serving. That's why we're going to look at the second point in sanctification and why we're going to grow in Christ together, why we're going to seek to serve one another, why we're going to try to continue to put others' interests before our own because that love of Christ that has justified us, that is what controls us. It doesn't mean that we're doing good works out of fear of God. We're not trying to do good works um, in order to keep God's favor as we looked at last week. Again, it's because he has loved us we're going to seek to show love to others. So our second point, we're going to focus more on this one together. Growing more in love with Jesus, our sanctification. Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is our whole purpose here on earth as believers in Christ. We are to grow more and more in love with him. Now, it might sound a little weird. For those of you who are married, I want you to think back uh, to those dating days, right? Where you were totally infatuated with that person that you love. Hopefully you love them now more than ever. But in that beginning stage, as you remember, the adventure that you were on, right? To seek to know them. More and more to understand their likes and their dislikes, to know their favorite things so that you can surprise them with gifts. And just, it was an adventure and it was a wonderful adventure that you longed to be a part of just to get to know them more and more and more. This love that you have for them, it should be expounded infinitely in how much we should want to know our Savior more and more and more. That phrase that I may know him. Such a loving, such a heartfelt statement. And why shouldn't we feel this way about our Savior? Why shouldn't we use these loving words about Christ? In Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why shouldn't we talk about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, I love him so much? That's not weird. It's not, shouldn't be awkward for us to say how much that we love Jesus. This is the picture that we're given in this marriage and in Revelation. Oh, I skipped over Revelation, sorry. Uh, Revelation 19.6, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This picture of husband and wife linked with Jesus Christ and his people. We should say affectionate words about Christ. We should say affectionate words to Christ. Sometimes we talk about, and I hear a lot of talk, man, I love how Jesus has sacrificed himself. I love how Jesus and God does this, and we love these things. Have you ever turned it back to God and just in prayer and say, Lord, I love you. I love you so much. We should do that. 
And looking back at all these verses of what we have been trying to do on ourselves, by ourselves, earning our own confidence in Christ, trying to earn our way to God, and God saying, no, 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 you cannot do that, but I will send my son, Jesus Christ, and he will pay the penalty. He will live that perfect life and sacrifice himself for you, So, because you can't do it. I'll send Christ to do it on your behalf. Why not have this longing to know him? We should say in our lives that when compared to my kids, when compared to my hobbies, even my spouse and my job, that we should say that my Jesus is of surpassing worth. Even compared to all the things and all the people that I love in this world, that we should say, oh, that I may know him. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And how do we know him? I really don't like just saying, well, just read your Bible and then and go to church more, and serve more, and then you will grow. Because there are people all over the world that read the Bible a lot, and they're not growing more in love with Christ. It's not that if you, it's just a formula, take your, you know, your Bible medicine in the morning, and you will automatically be more like Jesus. So it's not just do these things, and you'll love Jesus, but it really has to start with a heart's desire to love Christ. The reason of why you are going to read your Bible, the reason why you're going to come to church and why you're going to serve one another, it has to start out of your love for Christ, but you're only going to grow in your love for Christ as you know him from your word. So it's a, it's a both and. You can't just say, well, I'm only going to start reading my Bible when I feel like it. I want my heart to be right before I read the word, or my heart needs to be right before I attend a church. Let me ask you this, would you ever attend church or read the Bible if you're just waiting on these good feelings to come and godliness just to magically appear? Would you end up reading scripture? Probably not. So we need to force ourselves to be in the word. And then as we're in the word, pray and say, Lord, give me this desire to be in the word. Give me this desire to know you. Give me a desire to be at church. And as you're there, as God works in your heart, then I pray that you'll want to be in the word more. Like we don't tell our kids, you know, we want you to obey us, but only when, you're, we, when you feel ready. How, do, how does that go over? We want your heart to be right before you start obeying. Are they going to clean their room on their own? It's like, well, sorry, mom, my heart's not right yet. Just give me some time. No. We pray that as we teach them and train them and maybe force them to obey, that they develop this love for obeying. They see the benefits that come from it. We must pray. We must because it helps us to rely on Christ and trust in him with all these things. The relationship is not a one-way street. We must come to church. I mean, most of the New Testament is written about the local church, the gathering of believers. And if Jesus died for the church, you and me, it must be kind of important to him. And if it's important to Jesus, it probably should be important to us as well. And we need to humble ourselves. And I venture that if we humble ourselves before the word of God as we read it, if we humble ourselves in prayer, if we humble ourselves as we come to church and serve one another, bringing people to our homes. Again, if you weren't here for the ABF hour, there, there's some service opportunities that you say, I need to grow in these areas. If you are humble enough as you approach these things, I think you're going to see your love for Christ grow. I think you'll see this wonderful phrase of that I may know him then you have that heartfelt desire to say, I want to know him more and more. The greatest boast in our life should be that we know Christ. 
I'll start back in verse 23 in Jeremiah 9. It says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in those things I delight, declares the Lord that we know him. Is that your boast this morning? You walking around this last week saying, oh man, I wish I could know him even more. And what does Paul say that he wants to know about Jesus? He says that he wants to know the power of his resurrection. One thing I love about reading through the Old Testament is not only seeing God's awesome faithfulness on display, but also thinking that that is the same God that I serve. Right When God parts the Red Sea and delivers his people from the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the most powerful army in the world, and he delivers him from them and just sweeps up the entire army just with his sheer power, that that is the same exact God that I serve today. Isn't that cool to think about? That same power that God has back then. It's the same power that he has now. It's the same God. Now, I want us to start thinking about the power of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus showed off his power in many different ways when he was alive. We're just reminded by uh, Will Sharp and uh, youth team about Jesus' miracles. The many things that he showed of walking on water, showing his power over nature, uh, healing the sick and healing the lame. But the, then he did one of the most powerful things ever is with Lazarus. Remember raising Lazarus from the dead. It was said that um, when he said that he was going to go and heal Lazarus, he heard that Lazarus was sick. He didn't heal him right away. People were upset about that. They said, Why didn't you just heal him when he was sick? Why do you have to go raise him from the dead? Why did you wait so long? John eleven four 4 says, it is, Jesus was telling them, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He wanted to show them the power of the resurrection, the power that he had. The reason he waited for Lazarus to die was so that they would understand what power he had in raising himself later on, that he might be glorified. So then right before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am it. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he says, do you believe this? He laid it out for them, totally and completely. Showing his amazing power of the resurrection, that he not only possesses the power, but that he is the resurrection. And then he simply says, Lazarus, come out. I love that. Because he's not like doing one of these things where he really takes a lot of energy for him. He's like, Lazarus, come out. You know, he's like, you know, trying to do like a force beam or something. Like he's using a lot of energy here to really raise Lazarus. Come on, you can do it. And he's not doing that. It's almost as if he's exerting no energy at all. He's like, Lazarus, come out. And guess what happens? Lazarus comes out. 
He obeys. He has to submit himself to the power of the resurrection that Jesus is. I've heard some people say that if Jesus didn't specify just Lazarus to come out, that everyone who was dead would probably come out of the grave because he's that powerful. So he's like, no, 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 just, just Lazarus, everybody. Every, sorry, everybody else, you're still dead, but just Lazarus. No, that didn't happen. The power of his resurrection that just by his words he can raise someone from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in us, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This power that he used with Lazarus to raise him from the dead is his own power. He is the resurrection. It's the power that he used to raise himself from the dead. And that is the same power that has raised you from the dead if you know him. That same power that you and I now have we have this power of this, the resurrection. I know many of you are probably thinking like, sweet, I can raise people from the dead. I have the power. No, no. Romans 6, 5. It says this. I'll move on here. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In order for us to go from spiritual death to spiritual life, a resurrection has to take place. It's pretty cool to think that you have already been resurrection, resurrected if you know Christ. You were once dead in Christ. You were dead in your sin. Now you are alive in Christ. So now knowing this point of growing more in love with Jesus, it can be done. Because of the power that you have in Christ. This power of the resurrection can be seen by how we have the power to say no to sin. I love the point in Tim Chester's book, You Can Change, how he explains our approach as believers to sin. We don't approach sin and say, we shouldn't approach sin and say, I can't do that. I'm a Christian now. I can't do it. I shouldn't do it. Those are all nice things to say that we shouldn't sin. We can't do it. Um, But we should really have this power in us to say, I don't need to do that anymore. I, I have Christ. I have the power of the resurrection. I don't need to give myself over to anger. I don't need to give myself over to lust. I have everything that I need in Christ. What more is there for me? What can sin offer to me? I have the power of the resurrection. I've been raised with him. Why do I need to give myself over to this sin or to that sin? We don't need to do that anymore. We need to change our mindset instead of saying, I I can't, man, I have all these rules I have to follow. Instead, I don't need to submit myself to that yoke of slavery to sin. We have the power of Christ's resurrection. We don't need to give ourselves over to sin anymore. And amen to that. I'm so thankful. Then he also says in this verse, in verse 10, that we may share in his sufferings. The first one is like power of his resurrection. Yes, I've got the power. Yes, let's stop there. Why in the world would we want to share in Christ's sufferings? That doesn't make sense to many of us, right? Think Paul would know better than anyone 
Remember in 2 Corinthians 11, all the hardships he went through with the lashes and the beatings and the shipwrecks. Paul is very well acquainted with suffering. Why would he then pray for this, that I may share his sufferings? Why would he want that? We offer an awful lot pray for safety, don't we? Right? We prayed for a safe trip up to camp this last weekend and back. And praise the Lord, we were safe that whole way. And we should. We always pray that if anybody is sick or in pain, we pray that they'll feel better soon. And that's a good thing to be praying for. But we often associate that suffering equals bad. That suffering that we might go through and hardships that we might go through our life, that it always equals something bad. As if nothing good can come from suffering. Sometimes we say it like this, that I may know him, we read this verse, that I may know him in the powers of resurrection and may avoid his suffering and become like him in only the good ways. <laughs> right? Because suffering's bad, pain is bad. Why pray for this? Now we're not praying that people suffer for suffering's sake. We don't pray that people will just have pain in their life. That's not it at all. We're specifically supposed to pray in our life that we may share in Christ's sufferings. How did Christ suffer? It wasn't pointless, right? It wasn't suffering for suffering's sake. What did his suffering do? His suffering glorified himself. So the pain and suffering that we should be praying for is a suffering that will bring glory to God. We all go through hardships and trials in our life. There's no way for us to avoid suffering, but how can we suffer for the cause of Christ? Are we going to glorify him in the trials we go through? Are we going to put ourselves in situations where we know we're going to suffer because we're taking a stand for him? But not only does Christ's sufferings just glorify him, but what did his suffering, his ultimate suffering do? It brought us to him. It enabled us to be able to have access to God. And so as we pray that we might share in his sufferings, may we share in his sufferings that will bring us closer to him. It develops this great fellowship that we can have with Christ. Jesus would not have been fully Jesus and fully God if he didn't endure the suffering that was prophesied about him in Isaiah 53, that suffering servant. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. If he avoided suffering from us, for us, then we would not have this Savior, and we would be lost in our sin. This type of suffering that we are to pray for is a suffering that will draw us to Christ, that will draw other people to Christ, and that will glorify him. It's a suffering that counts the interests of others as more important than their own. Remember back in Philippians 1.29, it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That's a hard thing to pray for, is it not? That we might suffer for the sake of Christ. It's not an easy thing at all. But a person that doesn't want to be inconvenienced for the cause of Christ cannot pray this way. <laughs> Some of the best moments of true fellowship that we're going to have with our Savior is going to come through suffering for Jesus. Jesus had suffered way worse than you and I ever will. But believe the word here, 
that when you put Christ first in your relationships and in your job, you will find that there will be suffering for it because not everyone thinks the way that you think. Now, even with other Christians, you might find suffering for keeping Christ first. I went to a Christian school, fourth grade uh, throughout, and I remember so many moments in high school. Even in this Christian community that I was involved in, I still felt the pressure of not wanting to stand out for Christ. That peer pressure, that fear of man, because even in that Christian environment, I didn't want to really push the boundaries and say, you shouldn't do that that's sinful, you know, you should stay away from those things because I didn't want to look like a Christian goody two-shoes type of person. I don't want to be one of those Jesus freak type of people. And Why not? Even that's in a Christian environment where I probably would have suffered in relationships even for standing up for Christ among other believers. So how much more would we suffer for standing up for Christ among unbelievers, people who don't know him? But do we want to pray for that? Do we want to know Christ that way and the way that he suffered? Also, I want to encourage you to believe the word that when you are sharing in his sufferings, you will become like him in his death. And what great fellowship with Christ and a relation to Christ that you'll be able to know him and what some of the things that he has gone through on our behalf. Don't we really appreciate the people who have gone through the same circumstances we have gone through? You can kind of walk up to them and say, you get it. You know what I'm going through. And there's a, a deeper connection from the people that have gone through and experienced some of the same maybe hardships that you've experienced. So should we pray for suffering for Christ's sake so that we can experience and, and know him that much deeper? So I pray that you'll suffer <laughs> for the sake of Christ. Be willing to count the cost. Be willing to deny yourself and come after him. Be willing to consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, your Lord. And let's say what these early Christians said in Acts 5.41. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. If you suffer for the cause of Christ, count it as an honor. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord that Christ said, you know what, I'm going to use this suffering so that you can understand and know me better. So you can draw into a closer relationship with me. What a great privilege you can have to suffer for the cause of Christ. And finally, being with Jesus. Glorification, verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the, from the dead. This end of all things. The final place when we will finally be with Jesus and we will see him face to face as he is. What a glorious day that is going to be. And Paul uses a curious phrase here that I may attain by any means possible that I may attain this. Now we understand, I hope you understand by now that he's not saying I have to work for this. I have to work for this salvation. I have to work for this glorification. I hope you know by now, through the rest of the context, he's not saying that he has to work for it. He's not even saying that he's nervous about this whole, like, am I going to be saved or not? He's not um, un, 
uh, insecure about his salvation. If you read any of Paul's other writings in scripture, you'll see that he's very clear about the gospel and his confidence in Christ. What he's saying here is just a humble way of saying that justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He's like, that I may know him, that there's somehow a way, even for me, that I could attain this resurrection from the dead. Ephesians 3.8, he calls himself the least of all the saints, all the Christians, he's the least. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, he calls himself the least among the apostles. He's very aware of his sins. So it's just his humble way of saying that even I could attain this resurrection from the dead. Even with all my sin, all these things in verses 5 uh, through 5 and 6 that he counted as his confidence in the flesh, he understood his sin and said, I even, even me, I might attain this resurrection from the dead. And it's a picture of a resurrection from the corpse, the corpses is kind of what it's talking about here. It's this picture of the rapture. And the rapture is definitely, that's another sermon that we won't get into today. But for today, there's coming a time that nobody knows when, when the Lord will descend from heaven and raise those up. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, and the dead in Christ will rise first from the corpses here. Then he will, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. There's coming a day. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. We also see the, the same order in Romans eight twelve, And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's a connection even there with the life of a true believer in Christ who will be faithful to the end of their days. There will be suffering. But in that next verse, in Romans 8, 13, in the next verse he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So you might be like, I don't know if I want to endure that suffering. It's so that you may know him and draw closer to him. But when you eventually see him, when you eventually reach that glorification of being raised from the dead, that re final resurrection for you, it's going to be all worth it. You're going to see and say, oh, that didn't even compare. Even knowing, come to know Jesus more and more when we're finally with him, how amazing that is going to be. And it's all because of Christ. It all comes back to him. That by the power of his resurrection, we who are found to be in Christ will also be raised at the very end. Are you looking forward to that day? I hope so. I know there's some days in our lives where it seems like everything's going wrong. You ever had one of those? <laughs> Everything's going wrong and you're like, come Lord Jesus, please. <laughs> the only thing that can salvage this day is if the Lord comes back and I'm just raised up out of it. That's the only good thing that could come out of this day. I don't know if you've been there before. And you know, if you're around other believers, they're like, yes, amen, let's, let's have Jesus come now. You know what would really mess with people? 
I, I heard from one of the kids last week that I like to mess with people all the time. So if, and he's, he's not wrong. So you know what, you know what really messes with people? Is it like everything in your life is going well. Like you, you just got a promotion at job or you just got married and just everything is going up or, and just, you ha- just had a new child, just bored and, and just everything's wonderful in your life and just everything's going great. And you turn to your friend and you're like, oh man, come Lord Jesus. Wouldn't they be like, why would you want out of this? Everything's going great for you. Why would you want to... Go be with the Lord. Everything's awesome. Everything's coming together in your life. Everything's wonderful for you. Why would you want out? (laughs) You might mess with them a little bit. But isn't being with Christ, this glory, finally being with him, isn't that better than any best day that you could ever have here on earth? Even if everything is going right for you and you just say, I could never be happier than I am right now, you might think that way. But then if you're with Christ, you'll see that that's not true. Being with him is the best that by any means possible that I may attain that resurrection. That you can turn them back to this verse and they're like, why in the world would you want to be somewhere else than right here? And you can say that I may know him, (laughs) that I may see him face to face. I hope that we as believers in Christ just long for that day. That we see that all the things that we're doing right now It all comes back to him. If you flip over with me to Matthew chapter 19. This will be our closing thought as we kind of close out this time in this passage from Philippians 3. Matthew chapter 19. It's on page 824 in your pew Bibles if you're using one of those and are looking for that. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus approached by a rich young man, rich young ruler. He had it all going for him in his life. He goes up to Jesus, he's like, okay, what must I do to be saved? What do you got for me? What else do I need to accomplish? Jesus says, well, you know, why do you, call, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. So you gotta keep the commandments, keep all the commandments. And then the guy says, I've done it. I did it all. Jesus lists a few in verse 18. It says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness on your father and mother, love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. And the young man's in verse 20 there, he says, all these I kept. He's like, I'm good. I got my confidence in my flesh. I'm set. What did Jesus say to him? He's like, what do I lack? I got it all. Jesus said to him, If you would then be perfect, so you've done everything right, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus knew how to get to the heart of things. He knew what was really going on in that man's heart. What did that rich young man who had everything going for him, he had his life, was set, he did all the right things, he followed the law, he was just, he was working at it. When Jesus was able to get to the true heart reason of what was going on in his life, it says he went away, verse 22, sorrowful because he had great possessions. That's what's going to keep you away from knowing Christ. That one thing in your life might not be your possessions, but that one thing in your life where you say, 
you know what, I'd rather hold on to that. I'll do all these other good things, but this, the sin of my life, I'm not willing to give that up. Not for, not for, I, just give me some things I can work at. I still want to have a little bit that I can do to earn my salvation. Jesus says no. <laughs> when we are raised with Christ, we have that power of the resurrection. Before that, guess what happens? We die with him. We, we put our sin to death with him. We can't keep any of it for ourselves and say, I'll keep my life and have this Jesus life as well. And then he's, Jesus says in verse 24, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then the disciples finally ask a good question. So many times they just don't get it. Here they say, they're astonished, and they say to Jesus, well, then who can be saved? It's like, exactly. <laughs> like, we think, oh, they're good enough. They're a really nice person. Sure, they can be saved. And they're like, this rich young man had everything. If he can't be saved, if he's walking away sad, who in the world could? That's right. With man, Jesus says, verse 28, Uh, 26, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Speaking of the salvation, it's only possible through Christ. Your confidence cannot be in you at all. There can be nothing that you hold on to and say, Jesus plus this. I want to keep this part of my sinful life for myself. I got these idols that I just want to follow. You cannot. You cannot come to Christ and just say, this will be my life and I'll have this Jesus life as well. With man, it's impossible. You cannot earn your way to God. Only what Christ has done. Only through his work can he say, it is finished. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. The confidence that we have in Christ all come from him. Sorry, I'm a little bit behind on the slides. Finish out your big idea in your notes if you're keeping notes. Jesus is the one who justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies us. And because of that, and so, we love him, we honor him, and glorify him. His life is ours now. We, we live for him. We have died with him. We have been raised with him. That's why we no longer live for ourselves. Only with him can we be saved Don't trust in your own self-righteousness. It's not going to work. You cannot be saved through your good works. It's only through Christ. And so as we now go out and live, because of the justification and sanctification and glorification, all that, we're going to leave here. I pray that we leave here just with a love for Christ, that we honor him and lift his name high, that we put him above anything else that we're all about. Takes humility. On our part, it takes a work of the Holy Spirit in our life to do this. But I pray, as we're going to sing this song, one of my favorites, let it be said of us. Again, I pray that we have this heart attitude of, let it be said of me that Christ is my passion, he is my glory, he is my everything, that I live and take each breath because of him. My confidence is in him. Everything about me, it's not about me, it's about him and pointing people to Christ.